You're listening to TIP. On today's show, I sit down with Damian Lupo to talk about EQRPs and how you can leverage your 401k rollover money to invest in real estate. Damian is a financial mentor, entrepreneur, and author with several personal finance books under his belt. He is also the host of the Financial Underdogs podcast. I think one of the most common limiting beliefs people have when it comes to getting started in real estate is that they think they need to have a lot of cash to start investing. In previous episodes of the podcast, we've had guests come on to talk about creative strategies to buy real estate for investments. Not long ago on episode 28, Jason DeBono talked about how leveraging an SDIRA to fund real estate deals is a great strategy. Today, we're going to look at SDIRAs from the other perspective, why they might not be right for you. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you've probably noticed that I often bring on a guest to talk about a topic. Then at a later date, I'll bring on another guest to talk about the previous strategy we discussed from a different perspective. This isn't meant to confuse you. Rather, I'm doing it to teach you both sides of the argument. I personally believe that you can't fully understand something until you understand both sides of it the good and the bad, the pros and the cons, the bull and the bear case. So I bring on guests on both sides of different strategies so you can fully understand it and then make the decision that's best for you. No strategy is perfect. No strategy has only pros and no cons. And no strategy is good for everyone. By learning about both sides of the argument, you can choose what is truly best for you and your situation. That's exactly what we explore in today's episode with Damian Lupo. You're listening to Real Estate Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful investors from various real estate investing niches to help educate you on your real estate investing journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Real Estate 101 Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Robert Leonard. And with me today, I have Damian Lupo. Welcome to the show, Damien. Hey, man. Good to see you. Thanks for having me, Robert. You have had quite the wild up and down journey through your life as an entrepreneur, ultimately coming out on top where you are now. But tell us a bit about your story and how you got to where you are today. My story started on the bottom. When I look at my, my current situation, it's, it's funny that you say on top and it's, it's different than it was 25 years ago. It's, I would see there's more financial success. There's more there. It was not a straight line and there's a lot more to climb. I really look at our lives as not, it's not just getting to a certain point. It's, it's that process and the purpose of going on that journey. And so when I started, the purpose was money. It was like, okay, I'm going to go do some real estate. And when it, I started off, I was, I was selling insurance and I saw, I actually read Donald Trump's book, Art of the Deal or something. And I said, man, there's no money in insurance. I want to I go do real estate. I'd been thrown out of college for starting a bookstore on campus. I had entrepreneur in my blood and a little wasn't enough. Even the guys that were making a million bucks a year, that was not enough for me. Like I said, eh, insurance agents to make a million dollars, losers. And so I was very arrogant. Like I, I just thought, okay, no, I'm going to go out and make a billion because I read Trump's book. And at the time, that's what it was all about. It was the billion dollar real estate empire. And so I just went out and, and it was funny. I accidentally got involved in a deal that a buddy of mine found. And he said, hey, I got this deal. And I said, why are you telling me about it? And he said, because I need money. And I said, I'm broke. He goes, yeah, but you have a credit card. So I ended up taking a cash advance out of my, on my visa to buy a credit card, December 31st, 1999. And that was my first real estate investment. And then I learned how to actually be a real estate investor by doing everything wrong 
falling off the roof, doing roofing, electrocuting myself, doing electrical work, flooding the house. And, and it was through that process that I started understanding what was involved, that it wasn't just, hey, easy money, like there's work involved. It took me about four and a half months to play around and not pay attention to the metrics. And then I woke up one day and I was playing Robert Kiyosaki's board game cash flow. And I said, I'm going to do a financial statement on myself. And so I did one and I realized that I was about 30 days away from bankruptcy. And it was because I was sabotaging myself because even though I had an idea around how to make money, I wasn't contextually and spiritually ready for that type of wealth. And something switched in me. And what I realized is I was sabotaging by not returning phone calls by people that wanted to rent my stuff. I wasn't returning phone calls from people that wanted to sell their houses to me. And literally in 30 days, I got rid of the three houses I had that were sitting, bleeding me to death, and I bought eight more. And so I went from borderline bankruptcy to close to being financially free in a month. And it was because of a psychological and spiritual shift. And then it just went from there. And then there's more story, but that was the baseline of when things went from interesting hobby to actual business that had the potential for, for freeing me. You went from that Visa credit card purchase into 150 rental houses in seven states. You did that in less than five years. Is this something that's still possible for new investors listening to the show today? And how did you do it? So when, when I did it, I started off in one place. And it's funny because I say one place, but it was the entire metropolis of Phoenix, which is a massive place. Maricopa County, which is basically where my playground was, is bigger than I think the seven smallest states. So imagine that my playground was seven of the smallest states. Like That's the size of the territory I was working in. Huge mistake, not being focused. But I did I at least stayed in one place sort of for about two years. And I built a portfolio. I had like 40, 50 houses. And then I went out and started expanding into other places because Phoenix wasn't working. This is a fallacy I see with a lot of people. They start getting something that works and they say, oh, I'm going to go somewhere else where the grass is greener, much greener, because my thing doesn't work here anymore. The problem is you have to start over and you, and you lose the momentum. And 50 houses is not enough, in my opinion, to go out and launch into another state. I went and bought another 50 houses in Birmingham and, and kept in Alabama and kept growing this portfolio. I had a, a partner out there that turned out to be like kryptonite, a great opportunity to learn, but a terrible person. And, and I learned a lot about business and partnerships by going into a bad partnership with somebody that stole millions of dollars from me. And it was because I was, I was a rookie and I was arrogant and I needed that experience. I went into other states because it wasn't enough for me to be in one state. So basically what it came down to is my ego is driving everything. And ultimately in 2004 and five, I sold the houses, almost all of them, and then took that money and rolled it into other stuff, apartments that I was rehabbing and building condos and flipping $4 million houses next to the Bush estate in Maine, not too far from you. And I was doing all these things because I was 10 feet tall and bulletproof. I was totally invincible because of success. And it, it goes back to the idea that success is a terrible teacher. Failure is an amazing teacher if you can pay attention and humble yourself to the lessons. I just had all this money that I'd made, like a lot of people that have big gains right now, and they think that they're super smart. And I go, what happened to timing? And they're like, oh yeah, but it was mostly because I'm super good. And I look at those people and I go, you're about to be super humble. And ultimately, it's a matter of time if your ego is not in check. Ego is important because it's a good driver. It also can take you down. It's like Ryan Holiday's book, Ego is the Enemy. Really important to read that if you have big vision, because your ego can be your greatest asset and your worst enemy. And, and so I ended up in 2007, 2008, I took a $20 million portfolio and turned it into a negative $5 million net worth. So 12 months, I lost many, many, many millions and had to start over. That was the ride. And so when you mentioned ride in the beginning, it was one hell of a ride. What happened in 2007? How did you go from positive 20 million to negative 5 million? What happened? 
a couple of things. I, I thought that my stuff was worth more probably when I said it when I, in my mind and on my balance sheet, I said, this is what it's worth. I think there are a lot of assumptions in there. Assumptions can be helpful and really dangerous if you're basing them off of delusion. And, and so a lot of my things, I said, okay, well, I've got equity built here and it's based on these things that are going to happen without any execution intelligence. I hadn't done any of this stuff. Like I hadn't rehabbed an apartment, but I was going to do one. It was going to make me a couple of million bucks. Because I didn't have any experience, I didn't, I didn't understand. You should actually have somebody on site that has skin in the game, or you should be on site. So I had a bunch of mice in the cheese shop spending my money and the investor's money and running amok. And, and eventually, we, we ran out of money and I gave the property back to a lender and the lender sued me for a deficiency, which means nobody wanted to buy the property because it was a mess even after I'd put a couple million dollars into it. So he sued and we had to spend two years in court and he lost because he was, he was playing games. The problem was I was so inexperienced in that space and I wasn't looking at people to help me because I thought I knew everything. And, and it was the same thing for a number of projects. My arrogance and ego were, were the driver of the demise. And that's, I see that over and over again. It doesn't matter what generation it is. It just, it's, it's a function of inexperience, a lack of wisdom and too much hair. I would say that because I'm bald now. And I think I lost the hair because that's the experience. That, that's the scar tissue. You go through stuff. So I always like to look at people that are grayer and balder. And you don't have to just get wisdom from old people. It can be young people have a lot of wisdom from their niches, but they don't have decades of actually going through cycles and things. And I think there's value in that for people as well. A friend of mine likes to say, grass doesn't grow on a busy street. And in reference to your hair falling out, if your brain's working or you're stressed, then it's always you know, a lot going on up there. The grass can't grow. So, Yeah. I mean, that's a fact. I think there's a lot of immediate gratification. People are looking for stuff these days. and they think everything's going to happen overnight. We see things like Tesla going up 1,000% in a year. We see Bitcoin doing what it's doing, multi, um, hundreds and hundreds of percent, greatest asset of all time in terms of the last 12 years. We see these things and people are having major FOMO problems. They want to get involved. They're chasing things. They're, they're seeing stuff that they can do on, on Robinhood. And they're saying, oh, there's a delusion. It's a collective delusion because more and more people are getting involved. Apps are getting smarter to gamify things. And, and the marketing is tapping into our primal brain and getting us thinking and feeling a certain way, driving us towards certain behaviors. And those behaviors are not long-term sustainable or valuable. They're just really dangerous, except they're valuable to somebody else that's manipulating us. So I think it's important for us to, to settle down and breathe and think. Thinking is a lost art. It's because we're so, in such an urgent, anxious state of feeling like we need to have things happen overnight and we don't want to do the work. Most people don't want to do the work. And if you think you want to do the work, ask yourself, am I willing to pay the price for the next 10 years? And if you are and you're serious, then you've got a chance. If you say, I'm going to give it 10 minutes or 10 months, then you're already dead. You may as well stop. Warren Buffett has a quote about going behind closed doors, just closing the door, sitting there and thinking. It's one of the most valuable things he says he does. And I think it's important for people listening to the show to hear your story about ego and how it got the best of you and really humbled you because a lot of them listening probably don't have too much of an ego problem yet because they're newer investors. They probably haven't done a ton of real estate deals. So they haven't gotten to that point yet. But if they can learn about it now, if they do end up getting to a, a place where they might have a little bit of an ego from real estate success, maybe they can, in five years, think back on this episode, this conversation that we're having and be like, Damien warned me of this. Maybe I need to get myself in check. It's hard, Robert, to really just self-check and it's blind spots. One of the best questions ever is, what am I not seeing? And how do you know what you don't know? It's, I mean, the, the biggest problem is what you think you know that just ain't so. And, and so in, in a situation here, what do you do? One of the most important things, valuable things that any of us can do is attach ourselves to people that have been through the cycles, been through the stuff, 
And people go, well, how do I do that? Well, there's a couple of options. One, you go find people that are mentors that have been through it and you pay them and you attach yourself to them and, and you learn. It's a fair exchange. It's a circulation. The other option is you go show up at somebody that's successful that you want to mimic and model. You show up and you start creating value. And my friend Hayden Crabtree did this with his, his stuff he does in real estate with mini storage. And he basically found a guy that, that was already doing this stuff. And he didn't show up one day and say, what can I do to help you? That is a terrible question. You ask somebody what, what you can do to help them. You put a burden on them to try to make, help you help them. And it's like, ah, I'm too busy. But when you just show up for somebody and you start doing things to create value and, and you just be creative, figure out what their pain and the problems are. When you do that, you don't have any risks except your time. And people think, oh, I can't waste my time. That deal I told you about that my buddy brought, he brought that thing and we were both basically broke. We were both starting fresh. And the difference between he and I was after he brought me that deal, he said, I'm too valuable to help you and do anything with the deal. So I'm just going to go look for the next deal. And 10 years later, I went through this whole process, made millions and millions of dollars, then lost it, then made millions again. And meanwhile, he's still driving a cab and sleeping in a hammock homeless because work for him was a four-letter word and he was allergic to it. And if you're willing to go out there and do the work with people and create value, then you're going to become invaluable. And all of a sudden, you grow and you're not at risk of blowing up or letting your ego take over because somebody way beyond you is going to keep you in check. So those are the two options I see for, for anybody listening or watching is really think about what doing one of those two things if you want to have a sustainable investing career. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey guys, about a year and a half ago, my wife and I got married and one of the most stressful parts of our relationship has been trying to join our finances together. We all know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce, but Monarch, the top rated personal finance app, has built in collaboration features so that you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Together, you can see all your finances, collaborate on your budget and get insights on your cash flow and recurring transactions. It's the easiest way to manage your household finances. Unlike other personal finance apps that we tried, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving the product, and they release updates every two weeks and allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. And most importantly, they never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, my wife and I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners on this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash MI. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash MI for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash MI for an extended 30-day free trial. Hey guys, have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGPT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only does the research and analysis for you, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Well, wonder no more. Meet Meka, your AI-powered stock research assistant, now enhanced with real-time stock data. Let Meka do the heavy lifting for you to significantly reduce your research time. And the best part, Meka is 100% free. Ask Meka questions like, Explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon and millions of other queries right at your fingertips? Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. Hey guys, when it comes to financial advice, you've got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. 
Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever credit card was in my wallet. But I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? A free flight to a bucket list destination? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and much more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Check out nerdwallet.com and start making smarter financial decisions. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. All right, back to the show. Back on episode 28, we had Jason DeBono on the show to talk about investing in real estate using a self-directed IRA. And I've spoken with a bunch of other guests and successful real estate investors who have talked about really liking this strategy. We discussed some of the flaws in that strategy during the call, but it was mostly about good things. Tell us the deadly mistakes that you see investors making when they're using IRAs to invest in real estate. It's interesting because I, I know Jason, I like Jason. The IRA space is flawed. And, and the reason I say that is because if you're using an IRA to invest in real estate, inevitably, one of the best things about real estate is debt. You can get very cheap debt from a lot of different sources. And if you use an IRA for any type of real estate, you're sitting on a ticking time bomb called UBIT tax. And people don't realize this. You invest your IRA, even a Roth IRA, which is supposed to be tax-free, you invest that in real estate that has any type of debt. And this could be a house you buy and you get some hard money, or it's a syndication and you go out and you join some other people and you buy an Aplex or an apartment. Any of those situations, almost always, you're going to end up with a taxable event, which is going to be like a 37% tax. That's the first problem. Nobody tells you this. Custodians don't tell you this. They say, well, it might happen. And they, they sort of brush it under the, under the rug. The difference is if you say, okay, well, is there another option? And you say, okay, well, what are the options? Then you start having a rational conversation. I mean, I, I built a company called the EQRP company that has one thing we do, and it's called the EQRP. And it's a different part of the tax code that allows you to take retirement accounts and actually invest those in real estate without that tax because it's exempt. It's a unique thing. There's nothing like it. There, even things that are like individual 401ks aren't like it because the rules keep changing. And the rules a year ago changed to where some of the people that are out there, like Jason, are selling these solo type of plans. And the problem is you can't ever even hire a part-time person. So if you have aspirations of growing your business and your investments, the problem is either you use a self-directed IRA and you're stuck with UBIT tax, which is going to hit you, or you say, okay, I'm going to do one of these solo 401ks. And then you can never grow beyond just your own work or it's just contractors. And the reality is anybody that's, that's growing in business you've got to have the ability to leverage other people. And, and you're never able to do that. So the EQRP allows you to have employees. It allows you to have part-time, full-time employees. And you have control. You don't have a custodian. I don't personally like to have a babysitter for my money. I want to be able to control my money. And I think most people that are self-responsible would like that option too. IRAs have custodians. EQRPs do not. You are your own trustee, which is in charge. So there's, there's big differences between these two. And Quite frankly, you can create unbelievable wealth using tax shelters if you use them correctly. But if you use them wrong, why would you give up 37% of your money every time you sell a deal? That's just ignorance. Tell us a bit more about this UBIT tax. We haven't covered it here on the show. It sounds like it's, if it's 30%, that sounds like it could be quite a, a strain on your return. So break that down for us a little bit more. Great way to look at it is, let's say you have $50,000 in your IRA and you say, okay, I'm going to invest this in a deal. And you go out and you invest it in a deal. There happens to be 
debt of say 70%. So if you buy a, a property, buy a house and you get 70% loan to value, 70%, $70,000 loan, think of your IRA investing the same way. Your, your 50,000 goes in and then there's another chunk of debt. And so you've got 70% leverage. Let's assume that that deal grows and gets better. And, and now you cash out and it's four or five years later, your 50 turns into 100,000. In all likelihood, you're going to write a check for somewhere between fifteen dollars and $20,000. If you get really lucky, it might be only ten or 12000 The problem with that is that it's a choice. You're, and it's, it's because this UBIT tax is the 37% tax on all of your leveraged profits. So think of it this way. 70% of your purchase was debt. So 70% of your profits gets hit with this tax. So if you made $50,000, then 70% of that, which is 35000 is subject to the tax. So when you do the math, First off, why didn't anybody tell me? Well, nobody has to tell you. Custodians don't have to tell you. There's nobody that has to tell you. You have to be smarter and you have to go out there and have the right team. And, and unfortunately, there's no forgiveness. You can't go to the IRS and say, I didn't know. Your accountant's going to say, here's your, here's your bill. The worst in retirement account providers that are out there are telling people, don't worry about it. The IRS isn't really paying attention. Or if you just pay off your debt before you sell the property, well, who's going to do that? That doesn't happen. People, I mean, this, this is just not rational. I see a lot of attorneys that are literally giving bad advice and they're saying, don't worry about it. The IRS is not going to notice. Or accountants say, well, we've never done anything with it. Don't worry about it at this point. This is bad advice. There's a lot of bad advice because people don't want to be wrong. And you know what I call that? Ego. They're not willing to be humble and be honest. And so I think it's important for people just to look at the reality and understand if you're thinking about doing something, you can do it differently. And if you've already done something, you can fix it. And here's how that looks. You got an IRA that went and invested in real estate. You can roll over that asset from an IRA, self-directed IRA, into an EQRP, and now you're not subject to that tax. You have to do it before the property sells. So if you're like, "Oh, my property is about to sell. I've got an apartment. And it's about to sell," or you know, you're invested in something, you need to switch it over before you sell it and avoid the 37 percent. Unless you hate your money. I mean, some people genuinely, I just don't think that they care. But most people that are listening, I would venture to say they probably care about keeping their money. What is the rationale behind the UBIT tax? Like, what does UBIT stand for? What is, you know, typically the IRS, they tax you a higher rate for short term gains. There's a reason behind that. It's because they want you to incentivize you to hold it for the long term. Why are they charging us this UBIT tax? So, what they're saying is they're saying, okay, your retirement money is invested. And they're saying, like, let's say, give you a great example. You've got, there's a $500,000 property and you have $100,000 that you're investing. And so, you know, 400,000 of debt and 100,000 of your money. The IRS says, well, you didn't really invest in the whole thing. So this isn't all your money. So all the gains aren't really all yours. We're not going to let you keep all the profits from the, the leverage, the debt. And so we want to we equalize this. We want to make this fair. And so in their wisdom, they said, we want to tax a chunk of that that's due to not your money. What's interesting is that there's an exemption in the tax code for the EQRPs because years ago, developers and, and pensions and 401ks all their lobbyists got together and they had an exemption put in the code based on legislation from Congress. Basically, it was exempting developers from getting hammered because what they were doing is they were going to pensions and 401ks and raising hundreds of millions, billions of dollars. And they said, well, we need these people to invest in our developments. And so Congress passed an exemption that said, okay, we're not going to hammer them and, and charge them this UBIT, the unrelated business income tax. It's based on UDFI. This is like alphabet soup unrelated debt financed income. So it's income from debt financing. And there was an exemption put in place because the lobbyists with the 401ks and pensions were quite frankly better than the IRA lobbyists. And so how are individuals able to leverage QRPs to take advantage of that same thing? 
when you have anything that's under the 401 section of the code, you're exempt. So if you moved money or, or property over into a 401k or an EQRP, and, and the EQRP is built under the 401 section. So whether you're by yourself or you've got a team and you've got employees or whatever, if you have assets in that, it's just plain exempt. That's how you get out of it. It's not a loophole. It's just a freaking code. It's like saying, well, the whole code is a loophole. The whole code was written by humans for humans. So you just have to be one of the humans that's benefiting from it by putting yourself in front of that behavior that, that they want you to have anyway. One of the things listeners might be thinking is when they heard you talk about having employees, I know a little bit, I read your book, I know a little bit, I did a bunch of research into this. So I know a little bit more than probably the listener who's just hearing this for the first time. But when they hear that you're talking about hiring employees, that might confuse them a little because they're probably thinking, I'm taking my retirement money, putting it into an account. Where do employees come in? What does that have to do with anything? So walk us through how investing retirement money then comes together with having employees or potentially having employees. Good question. So when you think about IRAs, IRAs are for an individual. They're basically, if you think about the cash flow quadrant, if anybody's read the cash flow quadrant, rich dad, poor dad, there's a quadrant where you're in either the employee, the self-employed business owner or investor. Most people are, they take out an IRA because they happen to be an employee and they say, okay, well, I I just want a, a tax shelter has nothing to do with hiring employees. It's just, that's what people do. They, they put their money there. Maybe they retire from something that had a 401k. Now their money's there. When, when we look at the EQRPs and all the 401ks, those are based on a company. So a company is a sponsor and then inside. So that, that company has a retirement plan and then the company has employees. So if I'm saying to you, Robert, okay, your, your company, it's the Robert Leonard Inc. You're going to have a company and that company is going to be the sponsor of a retirement plan. So if you're just by yourself, it could look like one of these individual 401ks. If you ever hire a part-time employee, and I'm talking somebody working 10 hours a week, if you hire that person, you've got to make them eligible to participate. Just like if you worked at Amazon or someplace that had a 401k, they're going to have a 401k for all their employees. So the same thing in an individual that hires part-time, full-time people, you have to include your employees. So that's, that's why the EQRP is different. And, and when we talk about employees, if you want to use this tool, if you want to be exempt from the UBIT, you have to switch. You can't use an IRA. It doesn't work. They're all subject to, to the UBIT tax. What types of investments aren't allowed with an EQRP? So pretty much across all the retirement accounts, whether you're talking about IRAs or SEPs or SIMPLEs or 401ks or anything, the code says you can't do these five things or these eight things. Like it, it says you can't invest in things that you're going to get a benefit from. You can't go be a real estate agent and get a commission on a house that you, your retirement account buys. You can't live in a, a property that your retirement account bought. You can't buy collectibles like wine or, or rugs. I, I don't know anybody that's ever done that, but occasionally somebody will say, I'd like to invest in art. Can't do that. You can't flip a car. Other than that, it's pretty much anything you want, whether you want to invest in coffee farms in Panama, if you want to invest in Bitcoin, you want to invest in stocks, real estate, private notes, gold, silver, you're unlimited. It's really just a small number of things the IRS says no-go, and the rest of it is whatever your imagination can lead you to. I mentioned you wrote a book called QRP Book. Admittedly, the title didn't really speak much to me when I first saw it because I didn't know what QRP was, and so I had no idea what this book was going to be about. And then I read the subtitle, and the subtitle was How to Get Checkbook Control of Your 401k Rollover Money Now. And that spoke to me. That caught my attention. I know it's a big topic, but explain to us what you mean by getting checkbook control of your 401k. Most of us have an experience of having a retirement account that an employer set up, whether it's the federal government and it's a TSP, or it's a, you work as a police officer, firefighter, teacher, employee, you have a 457, 401. You've got one of these things. You put money in, maybe the employer matches it. And, and so at some point, you end up leaving that job. 
most people have these orphan accounts. They have old 401ks or 457s, and they're sitting at Fidelity or different places. You have a choice. You can keep them there, or you can roll them into an IRA and you have sort of control, or you can convert it to an EQRP where you have total control. So it's really a question of whether you want to take this money. I unfortunately hear a lot of people say, well, it's, you know, it's only 50 or 100,000. My thought is, what do you mean it's only 50,000? I took negative six. I borrowed 6,000 in 1999 and turned it into a $20 million portfolio in five years. So when, you, when people think it's because they're thinking is their problem, 50 or $100,000 from an old employer is awesome because you can take that and it gives you a chance to create momentum and start and get down that path, especially when you're new and you're thinking, what do I do? What resources do I have? Well, this could be one sitting right under your nose and you didn't even think about it. And it's, it's, there are different ways of using it. Another thing you can do is when you convert it from an old 401k or an IRA into an EQRP, you can take out up to 50% or 50,000, just write yourself a check for any reason that don't have to qualify. And you could use that for education, for mentors, for, for courses. That's powerful that you can do that. You can't do that with an IRA. And to say, well, I'm just going to go put my money into an investment, but I'm not going to educate myself is a fool's run. It's a terrible idea. You got to be educated. You got to you got to do the work and put the time in and this gives you a chance with the resources to do it. What if somebody has a 401k that they're rolling over from an employer, but they're still going to be an employee, they're going to another another company, they're going to continue to work, but they have this money now sitting in an old 401k that they're going to consider rolling over to an IRA or something like that. How does a EQRP work for them if they don't have a business? You have to have a business. What's fascinating is if you think about all the different businesses out there, what is a business? A business is something that has the ability to make revenue and potentially to make income. And so what could that be? It could be a lemonade stand. It could be an eBay store. It could be a consulting gig. It could be you could have a construction company with 50 people. Like It could be anything. There's, there's this goofy mindset or this messaging that says, oh, you can't have... I don't have a business. Or, or people think, oh, I, I'm already working. I can't have a business. I mean, how long does it take to set up an eBay store? Seven minutes. So if you have that, you're in business. doesn't mean you, you can't just start a business and say, okay, I got a business. There's nothing happening there. It has to be bona fide. And so if the IRS takes a sniff and they say, oh, do you have a business? And you're like, yeah, see, I started it seven years ago and haven't done anything. Okay. You need to make sure you can do something. Do you need to do a lot? No, there's no requirement on, on how much you do. You can put up, like I said, an eBay store or digital information courses that are out there. There's a million things. The question really is, does it make sense for you to have control of your money? And if that does make sense, it's not really that big of a leap to have a business. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Do you guys ever feel overwhelmed with all that's going on in the markets and feel like you just can't keep up with the day-to-day news headlines? Today's show sponsor, Yahoo Finance, is my go-to solution to keeping up with today's top news and stay informed with what is happening globally. With Yahoo Finance, I'm able to see the biggest trends and biggest movers in the stock market, what is happening with interest rates, major geopolitical events, and much more. If it wasn't for Yahoo Finance, I would have no idea that Tesla is laying off 10% of their staff or why iPhone shipments are down 9% year over year. Yahoo Finance also has a number of other cool features, including a tool that lets you link in all of your investment accounts, analyst ratings and independent research, as well as the ability to create customized charts. Yahoo Finance is one of my favorite tools I use in my investing toolkit, and it's what I use each morning to kick off my day and stay in the loop with what's happening in the markets. Join more than 90 million monthly users today and get comprehensive financial news and analysis at yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hey guys, when it comes to financial advice, you've got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. 
When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever credit card was in my wallet. But I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? A free flight to a bucket list destination? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and much more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Check out nerdwallet.com and start making smarter financial decisions. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Everything seems to be more expensive these days. I've noticed this at my own businesses that I've run. You'd be wise to find proven ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash mi. netsuite.com slash mi. That's netsuite.com slash mi. All right, back to the show. Another bullet point in your book that really caught my attention was the one that said, how to get an instant $50,000 credit line. And that might have been what you were just talking about. But if it isn't, tell us a bit more about this and how can we access a line of credit like that? So as soon as you have an EQRP, you have the ability to... You have your checkbook and all your money is in there. And if you say, okay, I want to go do whatever. I want to go do a course or I want to buy a car and I don't want to go beg Bank of America for the money. You can write yourself a check, walk into the car dealership. You've got $50,000 or 50%, whichever is less. You can do anything you want. And then once you borrow it, you've got five years to pay it back and you get to to set the the terms, the rates. It's up to you because you're the trustee. If it's for, if you were using that money for a primary residence, you could pay it back over 30 years. So you have a lot of flexibility and then you can do this over and over again. It's a perpetual way to tap into a line of credit, especially when you think about having an emergency fund. This is a great emergency fund. Instead of having all that cash sitting in your bank account, go do something with it and then use, your, use this potentially as, a, as an emergency fund because it's just sitting there available anytime you want. Does it have to be actually sitting in cash or could it be invested in a deal? Because a lot of times people wouldn't just have the cash in their retirement account, right? It would be invested in something. What happens is your retirement account is, is invested or it's in cash, whatever, and then it's valued at a certain number. And so it's 50,000 or 50% of that thing, that pile. If you're borrowing money, you're borrowing it from your plan. So you'd have to have cash that you wanted to borrow. If you want to borrow 20,000, you'd have to have 20,000 in cash or convert something to cash and then borrow it out. So it's not using what's in your account as collateral or anything like that. You're actually taking the cash out of the account. 
You could. You could also your your account. There can be leverage. It's just like the same thing. If you go and you use money in your retirement account to go buy a property, and there's non recourse, which means you don't guarantee it. There's debt. You can do the same thing. You've got assets. You've got a pile of gold. You've got whatever, and you want to have you want to leverage against it. You've got the ability to have that account leverage if it's not recourse. So you potentially could access other cash that wasn't in there if you had something that you could borrow against. What are some of the downsides of EQRPs? Egos, because you have control of your money. If you say, this is great and I'm a crazy person, there's nobody stopping you from going and buying a Ferrari or buying into you know, the next bubble and saying, I want to buy Nikola. You know, I'm going to go buy that stock. Anything is... It's really... Your money's in your hands. And for some people, that's a dangerous place for their money to be. Why haven't we heard of EQRPs before? And how do we know for sure that it isn't something like just an expensive life insurance product that salesmen are always trying to sell us? One thing you'll know about me is that I'm not a fan of life insurance. I had an insurance agency 20 years ago. Life insurance is amazing for people that are already wealthy, but it's a terrible place to grow money. It's a great place to save money because it's very, very boring and flat. This has nothing to do with life insurance. And so there's a lot of different names for life insurance, bank on yourself, whole life, um, cash value. There's like lots of tricky names. And EQRP is a it's a product that the IRS has approved and you, you get a copy of that IRS letter when it's set up. And why haven't people heard about it? Because IRA companies are $10 trillion companies and Wall Street doesn't want to tell you how to take control of your stuff. Why would they do that? It's not in their interest. Wall Street's interest is in making more money for Wall Street. Wall Street is not there to make you money. IRA custodians are in the business of having fees generate big piles of profit. Nothing against that. You just have to understand the alignment and how money is flowing. So why don't you know about the things you don't know about? Because you're, you're paying attention to marketing that's funneling through algorithms in large part, or it's people that are around you that have a certain bias towards the same stuff you do. And so they're going to know what you know in most cases. So you have to go outside of, of your norm. You have to hear somebody that is different. I mean, I'm different than Wall Street. I'm different than IRA companies. And that's, that's, it's a huge value right now to have podcasts. I mean, it's truly up to you and, and just going and searching it out. But that's, that's why you don't know, because the fees are so big. I mean, Wall Street always wins. IRA custodians always win. Why would they ever tell you how to take control of your money and reduce their fees? That makes no sense. Self-directed IRA companies typically make money from being your custodian and helping you handle that whole process. How do EQRP companies make money, such as yours or any that there may be? I'm not familiar with any others, but if there are, how do they make money if there's no custodian and you are really managing your own money? Is it helping you get it set up? So there's, there's a different philosophy. The typical philosophy is transaction and assets under management fees. So Wall Street wants 1% or 2 or 3 or 4% of your money every year. And that's just the, the blessing for being in your life. That's what they think that they're owed. And then there's transaction fees. And there's a lot of stuff behind the curtains. When you look at mutual funds, you're talking about 12B1s. You're talking about marketing, all this stuff. It's always there. IRA companies are set up for transaction fees. And most of them have assets under management. If you have 0 to 100,000, it's this percent or this dollar. And so it's, it's tiered. With the EQRP company, there's no other. There is one. It's ours. The EQRP company, there's a flat fee to set everything up, whether you or you and employees. And then there's a flat annual fee. Those two fees are transparent and clean. There's no transaction fees. There's no wire fees. There's, there's literally no fees for you operating it. It's just simply you operating it and you know exactly how much your costs are going to be. So to me, it's cleaner. I don't like the idea that as I have more money, the company's not necessarily doing more, but they feel entitled to tens of thousands of dollars in fees. But that's what the, our financial system is set up for. When you think back on your life, whether it's personally, business, everything you've gone through in real estate, 
What piece of advice have you received that has really had an impact on you and you continue to use it and think of it to this day? Some of the advice is, is warnings. Um, so almost a decade ago, I had a conversation with my dad right before he died. And he made a comment to me and it was, it was strange advice because it was advice without being direct advice. He looked at me and he had a few weeks to, to live and he said, there were so many things that I wanted to do. What do you say to that? He realized that he hadn't gone deep enough on the things that he really wanted to be into that were part of his process. And he hadn't gone out there and made decisions because he was playing chicken and he was playing not to lose. And we've all seen this with, with sports teams. The moment they're up and they start playing not to lose, they lose. Like This is consistent. It's a weird thing we do. That piece of advice, if you will, was don't wait. If you're thinking about something, do something. Don't just ponder. In your head is not going to create anything of value. Sometimes it's a scary place to be. The reality was taking steps in some direction because you can pivot. There's a thing called movement where we've got a frontal lobe. We're, we're not animals. I mean, we're kind of animals, but we had the ability to, to choose and pivot. The advice was don't wait because you'll wake up one day and you won't have any more time. And that profoundly impacting what I do and, and helping people break their shackles because my mission is to free a million people from financial bondage. Financial illiteracy is the modern day slavery. When we see people rioting and they're saying it's not fair and all these things are going on and they're smashing windows and it's, it's all because of race or whatever, what we're not talking about is the, is the monetary system and how people are being ripped off and screwed over by these systems and they don't even know what's going on. That's what it's like to break those shackles where you actually have control and you choose where you're going. You're not just hoping the government's going to send you some $600 check that's not going to change your life. It's going to make you more of a slave. Damien, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. For everyone listening that's interested in learning more and might want to connect with you, where is the best place for them to go? Best place to go is, is actually, it's really simple. You're probably watching or listening on your phone. Just text the word EQRP to 72000 and I'll send you a report that sums up what we've been talking about. It's a 15-page report, sums up that book that, you're, that you mentioned. And it's the first step. It's you taking a step. It's momentum. So I'm pretty sure everyone on earth can text somehow. So you just text the word EQRP to 72,000 and that'll start you in the, on the right path and enable you to connect with me and, and my team and whatever we can do to help you break your shackles. We're here with you. I'll put a link to that information in the book and your website and everything else in the show notes below. So anybody interested can connect with you there. Damien, thanks so much. Thanks, Robert. All right, guys. That's all I had for this week's episode of Real Estate Investing. I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. Make sure to subscribe to We Study Billionaires by the Investors Podcast Network. Every Wednesday, we teach you about Bitcoin, and every Saturday, we study billionaires and the financial markets. To access our show notes, transcripts, or courses, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.